There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Yes, on that positive note, let's get straight into this. Um, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, where does today's podcast find you? Um, I am, where am I now? I am in a, I'm away with my son for his birthday. So that's why I'm in this room. Um, but I'm doing well um, after my technology glitch, but I'm good. It's all positive. It's all good. It's um, all positive. You know, Trent has made some notes for us to talk to you about today and he started with that you grew up in Philadelphia, went to Ohio State Uni and that you were the most distinguished graduate student. I was, believe it or not. So now you're a, a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. I am. So both Trent and I are terrified with all the questions that we want to ask you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> So, so tell us a, bit, a little bit about your background, Jamie. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I went to Ohio State, and then I actually worked in advertising for a while, and then I went back to get my doctorate in psychology. Um, I work with adults, primarily anxiety, depression. Um, I see a lot of partners of narcissistic relationships, and I have a kind of subspecialty in working with patients with epilepsy. Wow! Right. Wow. You you also yeah. did some time uh, in a VA hospital. I think I think for our That's listeners, it. we've got a we've got a very strong base of listeners who have military experience, and of course, the topic of veterans' men- mental health comes up over and over again. It's a it's a very common sure. common discussion in the media, certainly here in Australia, and I'm not sure about the US. I, I presume it is, but you know, what was your experience there like, and mm-hmm. and I think you were director of psychology at Coatesville uh, Veterans. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, I it was definitely a very humbling experience. Uh, I worked primarily in the uh, acute medical floor and the hospice unit, uh, and I also worked in the geriatric uh, floors. 
So I saw most of the patients or the veterans that I saw were had some sort of medical diagnosis, um, a lot of Parkinson's, MS, dementia, um, and then just chronic medical conditions from, you know, just years of, there was a lot of substance abuse. Um, there was just a lot of um, kind of unhealthy behaviors for obvious reasons, a ton of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, a lot of depression. And so I worked with them on how to cope with all these medical illnesses alongside all of these psychiatric conditions that, that were there. Um, and it was, like I said, very, very humbling. And I have to say that of all of the patients I have ever worked with, that hands down was my favorite group of guys, mostly guys, but women too, mostly guys to, to work with. Um, I thought that they taught me a lot. Um, you know, you think you, you think you know things and then you work in a VA hospital and you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> um, so it was very rewarding. Yeah. Right. I was fairly lucky myself with my military background in special forces. I wasn't really exposed to too much that was harrowing, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I was very fortunate because the ledger would show that primarily we won everything. Well, we didn't win everything, but we, you know, we came out of it pretty unscathed, I guess. I'm sure some of my old platoon listening to this probably don't <laughs> agree with some of that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do often at times feel like I don't connect with other veterans who have post-traumatic stress because of that reason. Perhaps as I'm getting older as well, I'm understanding that perhaps I didn't go through what they went through. But it was interesting because I, I went to Somalia in 1993 and that seemed to have a really profound effect on people and on veterans back in the day, as opposed to perhaps some of the more modern things. And that was around, you know, mass starvations and young children dying and things that you yeah. couldn't control as opposed to what you could control. I know Trent had similar experiences with Rwanda as well. Um, yeah. I'm, just, I'm sort of wondering, is there, from your experience, is, is post-traumatic stress quite often something that, I know we're going to talk about positivity, but is post-traumatic stress, stress quite often something around situations where people aren't in control? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it doesn't have to be a situation that you believe at the time to be traumatic. And I think that's kind of a misconception maybe that people have that it has to be this kind of outright, um, you know, uh, just clearly traumatic event. You know, if you take abuse, for example, growing up, you may not realize that it was abuse until you're older later on. And you you realize now that you're in a different situation, how toxic it was. Uh, And it's all relative, you know, people go into situations with different coping strategies and they can process it differently. So I think it's, I don't know, I guess my first answer to you would be, it's all kind of relative um, and I think that people's experiences are going to differ on so many, so many things. So um, complex, isn't it? It's, it is, it really, it really is because I mean, I, I even have patients outside of veterans who have gone through things that if you hear about it at surface level, doesn't really seem traumatic, but when you hear about their relation to the, to the events, it's, it's pretty, you know, and, it's, it's, it's traumatic. And Dr. Zuckerman, how, how muddied is the water or the research around post-traumatic stress or anything clinical, clinical psych, psychology in any way. I know I didn't frame that properly, but how muddied is the water when you have people then who are also 
looking for handouts and looking to exploit a system, for instance, does the research then become tainted and and perhaps not as pure as it would Mm -hmm. if we – do you know what I mean by that? Am I saying that right? Yeah, no, no, I do. Absolutely. Um, So I've seen both sides of that um, because I had to do evaluations for um, people to to see what percentage, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, what their benefits would be and things like that. So I've seen both sides of this. And I, I can only tell you this, that when when they're doing actual studies and actually like research driven studies on post traumatic stress, they have to meet certain criteria. I would say majority of the time, people that don't meet criteria are not included in that. So, so that's weeded out in actual research studies. Um, As far as the VA, I mean, majority of the people that I saw, they, they had the, they had, you know, they call it disabilities, but they had, they had the disabilities present that they were saying that they, that they had. And it was pretty obvious that, you know, who was kind of trying to milk the system at the same time, though, you know, it, it, it kind of sometimes had that, that, that view of if they were in the hospital and they were acquiring treatment and they weren't able to function independently at home, then that says thing. So yeah. how yeah. they went about doing it probably was part of how they were dealing with their trauma anyway. Right. Uh, but I really didn't see too much of that, to be honest with you, with the people that I saw. I know that it's there um, and I know that it's a problem. But as far as the research goes, that's really people that that do meet criteria. Yeah. So let's let's maybe move on. We're really interested in toxic positivity. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about toxic (laughs) toxic positivity. Let's so pumped for um, this. Toxic leadership, narcissistic behaviors, and and particularly from a leadership lens. Mm -hmm. So. So I'd be really interested maybe if we work our way through a couple of these topics. We've all thrown around the word, you know, he's a narcissist or she's a narcissist. And, you know, you spoke about that in relationships and and those sorts of things. I think we've all been on the wrong end of that at some point in our lives and we can all relate to it. But what's narcissism? Sure. So that's an excellent point. I think that I know that narcissism is thrown around a lot and a lot of people use the term incorrectly. So I'll kind of give an overview of what it, what it really is and then how people use it. So narcissistic personality disorder uh, in the newer DSM, they don't list it as a distinct personality disorder. Uh, So there's a lot of controversy around that. And part of the reason is because narcissistic personality disorder was never directly diagnosed necessarily from the actual person themselves. And I'll explain why that is. It was usually through secondhand information. Uh, And the reason for that is because someone with a true narcissistic style doesn't ever present for therapy. Nothing's wrong in their mind. Everything they're doing is, is accurate. Why would they bother going to therapy? It's everybody else's problem. Learn to deal with me. Um, and the only time that someone with that personality style ever enters treatment is for three main reasons. They're either suicidal, so they have to get treatment. It's court mandated because for anger management or through a really nasty divorce or or something like that, or um, some sort of substance abuse. So they get treatment for that, but then that's it. And then they're out. So nobody with narcissistic personality disorder ever gets treatment for narcissistic personality disorder. They just don't come. And if they do come, they probably will get through an evaluation with me and never come back, or they will walk out mid session, or one of my patients will bring their narcissistic partner in 
and either they, you know, try to charm me or try to one up me or whatever it is, it doesn't work. And they, so they never come to treatment. Um, and the difference between someone who is a narcissist versus somebody who has break it into three categories, someone who is a narcissist, somebody who has narcissistic tendencies, which I'll talk about as far as leadership goes. And then someone who's just a jerk. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Um, She's nailed you, mate. So, <laughs> talking to, talking so to you, talking to you. Co- right. I'll have a lot of people come in and say, you know, he's such a narcissist. He cheated on me. He did this. He did this. That doesn't mean he's a narcissist. It just means he cheated on you, you know, or it just means that he's, you know, maybe not a great guy or, Jerk. but narcissists. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was going to use it. Yes. That's the nice way of putting it. Right. But um, somebody with a narcissistic personality to style, has no, no empathy. They do not care if they hurt you. They don't care if they manipulate you. Yes, they know what they're doing. No, they don't care. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people to understand that they can't wrap their brain around the fact that this person knew exactly what they were doing through the entire relationship. Um, you know, there's a, a huge sense of entitlement. Um, there is a ton of manipulation. They use strategies like gaslighting, which is where they make you think that you are the problem. And you, before you know it, you're apologizing for things you never did. You lose your sense of reality, which they depend on so that they can kind of manipulate your, your world so that you end up depending on them to have to make sense of the world around you. They do it very subtly. So in the beginning, they're the most immune human beings in the world. I can't believe I found you. You're the love of my life. You are the best thing that ever happened to me. I've never met anyone like you. And this is on date two, let's say. Um, Three months go by, things are, they're taking on vacation. They're buying lavish gifts. And then all of a sudden there's just this switch. And you'll realize that they'll slowly tell you, you know, your friends, Jamie, that psychologist, I don't don't really like her. There's just something, something about her. You really trust her. And so they slowly start to isolate you from people that you would normally go to, to bounce these ideas off of. So you end up very isolated with no support. You end up having no idea who you are. A lot of times they, they don't, if it's a female, they won't let the female work. They won't let her have friends. Um, they control absolutely everything. And a really, it's a really difficult relationship to, to break away from. And then narcissistic features, we all have narcissistic features. And what you'll find in uh, positions of leadership, they're going to have more narcissistic traits, if you think of it on a continuum, than let's say somebody who is not in a CEO position or not in a CFO position. Um, that's what makes certain people able to be leaders and other people not. Again, it doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Uh, it just means they have some some features, which we all have. You mentioned the effects of, say, gaslighting or narcissism when a man might control a female. What about in reverse, females controlling a man? What's the sort of, what does a exactly. man look out for? Sure. So in the beginning, a lot of the same things, but it's a little bit different. So it may be, you know, a woman who is extremely doting, like overly doting, you know, very much kind of um, stroking their ego, making them feel that they are the most important thing in the world, but, but not in the healthy way in kind of this extreme way. And then kind of, they have these kind of expectations that they will put on their male partner, um, to take care of them kind of like a, a very codependent, almost needy looking way, but it's not needy. It's, it's a form of control, you know, to, to take care of them and do it the way they want and how they want. And if they don't do that, 
Then you see narcissistic rage. You see a lot of um, arguing, spying, things like that. So it's, it's not as behind the scenes fly off the handle. You feel like you're walking on eggshells. Um, you never know what you're going to get. It, you know, you could come home and they could be happy and smiley. And then five minutes later, they are screaming about something. It doesn't even make sense because yesterday it was totally fine. Um, so it's, it's different in the presentation. It's a little less obvious, um, but men are also covert too, you know, behind the scenes, they're different people than they are in public. So women, they will be very charming in public. Um, they're also extremely competitive. Narcissistic women are very, very competitive. They also can be, um, you know, if, uh, let's say everything, everything happens to them worse. Like every, anything that happens, they've had it worse. They, so there's kind of that, um, woe is me, but to an extreme level. Is, is passive aggression the tool of a narcissist or is that too subtle for, for a narcissist? It's definitely part of, part of that. Women tend to have that a little bit, the passive aggressiveness, um, but men absolutely it's that same kind of approach where you, you there's kind of this underhanded manipulation, but you can't call them out on it directly because if you do, they'll do this thing with called word salad. Where they'll just start talking in circles where you can't really make sense of it. And before you know it, you're, you're defending behavior that you didn't even do. So it's a tactic on their part. If you, if they are passive aggressive and you do happen to call them out on it, but yeah, absolutely. That is something that is very prevalent with okay. narcissistic personality. Yes. Wow. I'm just going to say, wow. And leave that there. Mm. I mean, this is what I tell people. If, if, if you're questioning, am I, you know, they'll ask themselves, am I a narcissist? If you're, if you're asking that you're not, <laughs> like it, it, it's you know they people are always worried. Well, I did this and I did this. Am I a narcissist? You're not if you're asking because if you're asking it, it means you have awareness and you have insight. And narcissist, even if they know what they're doing is really crappy to the other person, there's no there's no care about it. There's no yeah. wait. Did I do this? Did I really do that? It's not. It's just a, a total absence. I have a feeling that both Trent and I started thinking are we narcissists and then very quickly we've changed our focus <laughs> to thinking about some other people that we might know yeah i'm, yeah. I'm getting a quiet yep. stare yep. from trent um so talking about toxic leadership and it's something you know trent and i do a lot of work <laughs> trent and i do a lot of work um hindsight with hindsight leadership um which is our, our main business and we we often field questions from people saying Hey, I've got this. Uh, I've got this boss who is just toxic in the workplace. And when we try and drill down to find out what that toxicity is, people are never real. They can never really put their finger on what it is. They just know they're not happy because of this person and and what this person does. And it's interesting, as Simon Sinek says, you know, a, a leader. Um, it's about how you make someone feel, not necessarily what you say. So. When we think about a, a toxic leader, what are we actually talking about there? Mm -hmm. So I think a toxic leader is, you know, obviously it's going to depend on the environment that you're in and what's considered the healthy, so healthy dynamics in different industries, different organizations are going to look different, obviously. But within a particular environment, a toxic leader would be somebody who does not value 
or care about the thoughts and opinions of their employees. Um, a lot of times you'll hear employees say they don't feel heard. They don't feel listened to. They feel they're taking, you know, getting taken advantage of. Um, but the, one of the biggest things is they don't feel heard. And so a, a toxic leader, um, would be somebody who, like I said, is not willing to hear the viewpoints of others, yeah. is not willing to change things that aren't working just because, it's always been that way or because they feel that it should be that way, even if other people are telling them it shouldn't. So it's an unwillingness to change, even if it would make the system they're in better. Yeah. It's an unwilling to unwillingness to listen to people. Um, and it's, it's, I think also from an emotional standpoint, it, people don't feel safe. They don't, they don't, they feel vulnerable. They don't, they don't feel safe. Yeah. You nailed that. That was brilliant. Perfect. If you Google toxic leadership right now, you get countless tens of thousands of articles and blogs on toxic leaders. Why is that? I think because one is probably so prevalent. I think there's a lot of times where there's not a lot of checks and balances and there's not a lot of accountability. I want to tell you a bit of a story and then, and then um, explain to you why I reached out to you, Jamie. Uh, just recently I was working with a group of people and I was telling them a story about Afghanistan and, and I was in, in particular I was talking about high-performing teams and how one of the premises of a high-performing te- team is positivity always from the leader. And I was talking in particular about my own experiences and, and how we were uh, it was in a, in a place called Gumbad in Afghanistan and how we were up against a superior force. We were, we'd run out of ammunition. We'd run out of radio batteries pretty much. The, a dust storm had, had come in and we weren't going to be picked up. And we, we'd been out there for 72 hours and it was only meant to be a 24-hour mission. And it, it was at the point where I was about to tell the platoon that we're going to have to break into teams of two and walk the 180 kilometres, you know, cross country separated to try and get away and it was a really hard decision that I had made and it was and I I started to go around and tell everyone and I was framing it with hey but but don't worry think of the amazing movie they're going to make about us when when we do this and who's going to play you in the movie and so I tried to spin it as positively as I could and then and so it was it was a tough thing to do I was walking around and making a bit of a joke of it and guys were laughing and saying who who was going to play them in the movie and all this sort of stuff and then not long after, we got a, a final sort of radio message. As I said, the batteries were, you know, our batteries were almost, you know, depleted and finally got this message saying there was helicopters coming to get us. And I had to go around and tell everyone, oh, look, we're about to get picked up. And people were actually sad about that because they'd, they'd you know, resolved that this amazing movie was going to be made about them and that whoever was going to play them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was interesting how that was, for me, it was like there was a positive in everything. And I told this to this, this business group that I was working with and this you know, young lady put her hand up and she said to me, um, you do realise that's toxic positivity? And I said, mm-hmm. sorry? I think, mm-hmm. that I, was, I think I was setting people up for success. And it really shocked me when, when I was told that. Mm-hmm. And I was and right. I was taken I was taken a bit by that because I certainly didn't think of myself as a toxic leader. Far from it. And so we started to do some research, Trent and I, on toxic positivity, and and we sort of it sort of brought us to you. Um, I guess I've got a few questions on the back of that. It, was that toxic positivity Sorry. in the face of of no other options, trying to find a silver lining? And secondly, am I a toxic leader because of that? 
<laughs> so no, you're not a toxic leader. And um, I think that, again, I think this is where it becomes relative because I'm sitting here listening to this story and I just have a pit in my stomach because I- I'm thinking of, you know, I, I mean, I, again, this is probably why I don't do that. You do, um, you know, I'm thinking, God, I would crawl into a ball and just cry. Mm. <laughs> I mean, so no, you're not a toxic leader. You're clearly an amazing human being because there's not many people in those situations who would be able to have their bearings and their mind right. So, you know, no, you're not a toxic anything actually. But I think that, you know, that is an outlier of a situation um, because I think in that case, Mm. and listen, I could be wrong and maybe people will disagree with me on this, but I think that in a situation like that, I think that you need to do whatever in the moment you need to do to make sure that the people you are leading are of the right mindset to survive. Truly, that's it. And so I don't think, well, yes, yes. Objectively, is that toxic positivity? If we put it in a different context, yes. But I mean, it's not so black and white. And I think that, you know, your training and what you thought of to do instinctively keeps you and the people you're, you're leading, you know, surviving. So I, I, I think that that's, I think that's a really tough situation to apply it to. I think it's very easy for somebody, you know, and I'm not that she was wrong, but I think it's very easy for somebody who's not in a situation like that to be object, you know, objectively say, you know, well, that was toxic positivity, but truth be told, I mean, that's, that's a very unique situation. So no, I I, I think, yeah. The person that said that I have a lot of respect for, and I I think, um, and I think it, 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 it was good because it made me ask questions and, Hearing you say that that's yeah. an outlier, that that to me makes a lot of sense because in that set of circumstances, yeah. there was no other option. And if we had of, you know, and I would have loved to have curled up into a ball as well, but um, the problem with that is yeah. that you don't yeah. you don't survive. But I do, yeah, I, do I do, I <laughs> do now, exactly. yeah, I do now see how, um, I do now see how me saying be positive always for a high performing team is not that's is, different. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and so that was the right. point she was making. And I think she eloquently did that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and it yeah. May, yeah. I agree. And I, I agree. I think, like I said, objectively, yes, she's correct. I yeah. think that, um, I agree. listen, cause the alternative in that situation would be something like, all right, guys, you know, listen, um, this, you know, this could be extremely bad. This, you know, this could be, you know, I, I mean, you could have said that that would have been, not toxic activity. I just don't know if in that situation that's how you would want I, to handle that. I but also she, yes, object yes, she is correct. Yeah, but I also think if I hadn't have taken the the positive only approach, I would have made a different tactical decision, which would have meant to just stay and fight, and in which case we would have been all, mm-hmm. all defeated, and we wouldn't have had our best chance mm-hmm. of, survi- of survival. So. So finding, so looking for a silver, yeah. So looking for a silver lining in an unwinnable situation gave us a tactical, not advantage, but a a tactical thing to do, which we wouldn't have had otherwise. Exactly. Well, it's strategic. Yeah. I look at that as part of a, it's part of the strategy. It's, 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 you know, it's strategic in, in, in nature. And if, if that, if the finding the silver lining would have been something that was that was not a good strategy, then you wouldn't have used it. Yeah. Jamie, if I can 
If I can, I guess, maybe extrapolate on this particular situation yeah. then and maybe take it to another, uh, to a more business-focused environment. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be working with leaders and people out there are, are listening to this conversation now going, well, I've been in crisis situations before and, and you do need to be positive. You do need to remain positive, you know, through difficult situations or prolonged periods of change and yes, it's right to acknowledge the risks and the difficulties around around a particular situation. But uh, in my view, you know, you know, Bram's concept around positivity always. Um, if if you're not, in my view and my experience, if you're not actually demonstrating positivity, if you're not confident in what's going on and, and confident in your team and positive around your team, then you are actually starting to erode the trust of the the team in yourself or yourself in your team. And so so this is where I struggle with this concept of toxic positive uh-huh. positivity. And sure, you know, I've read examples all across the internet of, you know, all your friends are saying, oh, don't worry, the pandemic will be over soon, you'll get your job back and or you'll get another job if you've lost one. And those, so I, I get those sort of business as usual, life as usual type moments. But in an operating environment, I think, I think positivity is an important weapon in in a leader's arsenal. Just just before arsenal, yeah. just before you answer that, Jamie, um, Trent, mm-hmm. Trent, I think Simone's point to me was that if the leader is positive always, then you don't then you don't foster a, an environment where people are valued and heard because people want to be able to get their emotions out, and they can't do it if the if the leader is only ever positive about things and and don't see things how the way they are. That makes sense. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm I'm putting it down to a behavior though. So, I mean, I am interested in in the difference between, and, and I get... I get Simone's point, um, Bram. So I'm really interested in, you know, whether this toxic positivity is in fact, um, you know, an explanation around positive people in a business as usual type environment or whether there's something more to it. Because I I genuinely believe you have to be positive in order to to function as a leader. So do I. Jamie. Mm -hmm. Jamie, unpick it all. So, yeah, so <laughs> you guys are not going to like me with this answer. So, no, so, um, so I think there's, again, a misconception between what toxic positivity really is. So, tox- so let me start with the confidence aspect of it. Confidence and positivity are not the same thing. Um, Confidence means your, you know, your belief in yourself or your team in their ability to get through not just good times, but also be able to get through difficult times. Um, so somebody who is positive means that, right, they're always looking for the silver lining. 
and that's that's great, except for the fact that part of being confident and part of being capable is not just when is not just being able to find the silver lining. It's also being able to navigate difficult situations and at the same time know that what for right now, this is difficult. There has to be a level of acceptance order to function better. And, you know, the research is, is solid on this, that the more you avoid discomfort, so the more you avoid your bad feelings you don't want to feel, and the more you avoid bad thoughts, real or imagined, the larger they become, the more likely it is you're not going to engage in behaviors that are consistent with what you value. So people that only are positive by nature of only being positive, you're choosing, you're actively choosing not to think about the bad stuff. And while it seems on the surface, it makes total sense. Why would I want to think about the bad stuff? Because if you don't acknowledge it, sit with that discomfort, you end up making decisions, you end up engaging in behaviors that take you further away from what you value. So for example, let's say that you're in a situation where something, you know, is going really bad at work. You lost, let's say your biggest account. You can say to yourself, okay, it's going to get better. It's That's fine. But you also have to acknowledge the fact that this is really crappy right now, right? This is not good. And you need to be able to feel that to be able to move forward. And so if somebody is always saying to you, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. What if you're the one that lost the account and you have somebody telling you it's going to be okay. And then a week later, you still feel really bad. You have all this guilt, you have all this shame and everybody's saying, no, 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 it's going to get better. It's going to be better. Now you feel guilty about feeling guilty. Yeah. Now you feel shameful about feeling shameful and you feel like it's, it's bad to have these feelings and it's not, it's the human condition. And so when we avoid that, we end up making unhealthy decisions. Brilliant. Love it. It's so much different than the way I, than the way I saw it. Um, Because I have Mm -hmm. been framing it for some time and to to great effect that we should be positive always as leaders, but I'm, I don't live that as a rule if things are if things are bad mm-hmm. then then I mm-hmm. would sit down with people and say right let's talk about this and see how we can make it better um, mm-hmm. as opposed to a toxic uh, leader or someone who has toxic positivity who's just like you know just toughen up or or just you know positive only let's just you know uh, I, yeah I can mm-hmm. I can completely concede that that's a, a better mm-hmm. way to look at it you always want to motivate your team motivation is also letting them know like listen it's all right that you feel bad right now because something bad happens mm. you know and validating those feelings for them it's really important because otherwise it gets pushed under the rug and yeah. it doesn't it just builds and builds and builds and then you don't want to end up having a team where everybody's scared to bring these things feels like it feels like it shouldn't because it's negative do do we need to have balance in our teams as leaders of people who have negative mm-hmm. and positive biases do you think i think it's as dichotomous as someone's positive and someone's negative because that's not healthy either i think it's a matter of you have to be willing to be uncomfortable mm. and also, you know, kind of look forward and figure out what behaviors do you need to do to move from point A to point B. Mm. And your, your best way of moving from point A to point B is to acknowledge 
the, the, I don't like even saying positive and negative to acknowledge the uncomfortable stuff so mm. that you can move forward and strive for the positive constantly. I think you end up avoiding a lot of very human and necessary emotions. I was going because, to you know, ask you as, about as, that because I've been doing yeah, some research I mean, lately yeah. on, on conflict and there's avoiders and mm-hmm. seekers. And I just wonder if, if a leader with toxic positivity is probably an avoider. Oh yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent is avoidance because it's unwillingness to feel uncomfortable. You know, again, the biggest part is that you, you end up making your team around you feel like having uncomfortable emotions are bad and that you shouldn't have them. Um, Fake it until you make it. Is that, is that a type of toxic positivity? No, actually fake it till you make it is something that I am actually a very big fan of. And I will tell you why, because here's the thing. So I am kind of more of a behaviorist. So in my opinion and in the work that I do, you can't change your thoughts and your feelings just by waking up and hoping that you're going to feel differently without a different experience to kind of change it. (laughs) So, you know, if I am scared of swimming, let's say, and I just constantly avoid situations to avoid my discomfort about swimming. And so I avoid social events at the beach. I avoid going to a pool. I end up isolating myself and I end up having really crappy summers as a result. Mm. Business development or something like that. If you're not good at sales. Correct. Exactly. So Mm. the more you avoid it, you deprive yourself of the opportunity to prove yourself wrong and therefore change your thoughts and change your feelings about it. So, you know, when people say, okay, well, I'm scared to do it. I say, okay, well, scared doesn't actually literally stop a behavior. You're making a choice to stop, to avoid it. So do it. And at the same exact time, be scared. Yes, it's hard. And that's where the toxic positivity comes in. I say, yes, it's hard, right? I'm not going to lie and say, no, it's not that bad. It is that bad. And I think that validates the person's fears. Yeah. Do it and at the same time be scared. And if it's too much, then break it down. Break so, it down into insultingly small steps. So thought, mm. thoughts become feelings, become behaviors. I actually think, beha- well, thoughts and feelings have no correlation. Again, there's different schools of thought on this, but thoughts and behaviors. I mean, I could go to work one day and at the same time, absolutely not feel like being there. Yeah. I don't need to feel like being there in order to be there. No. So thought, thoughts, m- one of the things that I quite often say to our listeners is thoughts become things because I'm, I'm all about projecting positive thoughts into the future and hoping that it will manifest into a thing that I want to achieve. Um, I'm also a massive believer in fake it until you make it because positive, yeah. positive self-talk has meant that I'm still on this mortal coil, <laughs> actually. Um, so, so... In that regard, Trent and I are in violent agreement. You know, we both love positive self-talk. We 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 talk positively to each other. Is that is that toxic in some way? No, I think positive self-talk shouldn't just mean good things, though. I think part of positive self-talk to to motivate yourself is also acknowledging that something's difficult. Mm. It's acknowledging that something feels bad. Mm. Um, you know, t- positivity is it should not be just only saying good things mm. because that's not really motivating. I said that, you know, that's like what I said before, like that's, that could be 
it could invalidate how you feel. It could make you feel worse about yourself, about your abilities. You know, I'd rather have somebody say to me, you know, Jamie, I know this is really difficult for you and this is going to be a difficult 24 hours. And at the same time, I know that you can do this, even though it'll be difficult. That's a heck of a lot more positive than saying, no, 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 that you, you, this is great. You're going to be great. It's not hard. You can do, I mean, that's, that is toxic positivity. So I, I want to I want to just drop I want to just drop something in here then because yeah. um, so we had a great chat with Mumta Saha previously she's fantastic we love her blending of psychology and and Eastern philosophy and so she's yes. so yes. so what are your thoughts around affirmations yeah. right because they're that that's all about positivity um, and so where do you where do you step in there so uh, I think affirmations are helpful to keep you in the present moment. I think they're helpful to keep you grounded. And, but again, you know, a lot of what I do kind of comes from Eastern, you know, kind of philosophical ideas of maintaining, um, you know, being mindfully present. And when you're mindfully present, that doesn't mean you're just feeling good and happy when you're mi- when you're present, you're feeling everything that comes up for you without judgment. You're right. So you're fe- right. So you're feeling uncomfortable. You're feeling, uh, you know, energized. You're feeling sad. It's, um, it's just a thing, right? It's not it's positive or thing. negative. It's just a Correct. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why toxic positivity is very much based in avoidance because you're not present. Right. It's completely different selecting- than we thought. So yeah, Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell Malcolm Gladwell talked about the ten thousand hour rule, which has since been um, not debunked, but it's been challenged a few times. So the ten thousand hour rule is you do something for ten thousand hours, become an expert in it. Expert, um, yeah. Well, I am an expert in positivity, Trent. I've done ten thousand hours of <laughs> of this, um, but it's, and it's a learned behavior. It's a learned it's a learned behavior for me. Mm. You know, well, because society society is. At least, he, you know, at least in American society is, you know, shut up and move on. Like, don't complain about it. Be happy. Right. Don't be sad. Um, and we've let's got, go. Move on. We've got an interesting little thing that's happened just at, at Wimbledon overnight, which is, um, mm-hmm. or oh, not overnight, yesterday. Emma uh, um, Raducanu, the, yep. yeah, she's an 18-year-old who was losing in the second set and, um, for all intents and purposes, gave up. And Kevin Peterson, the, the famous um, mm-hmm. English cricketer, said that on the big stage it's about mental toughness and you've just got to toughen yes. up. And then the world yes. is piling on him and a yes. few other, um, you know, a, a few other celebrities who've also weighed in and said, you know, like, what's his name? Piers Morgan, whatever his name is. Piers Morgan, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not a fan. But anyway, um, mm. so people have been jumping on them saying, you know, it's not about toughening up. It's an 18-year-old girl who was overcome on the – Now, you Correct. know, I would – I would if I mean, I know she probably listens to this podcast because she's a human. Um, I would say to her <laughs> – that's how, that's how big we are. This, yes. hap- this happened yesterday, this happened yesterday yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, I, yeah, I would – It's I would, so positive. I would say to her, hey, I've been on – I was on a big stage too. I was – you know, I, I did something – very similar and and gave up when I didn't when I shouldn't have and went on to achieve some pretty some pretty cool things. So and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a lot of sports people out there, there's a lot of celebrities, a lot of politicians. How old is she? She's eighteen. Yeah. In I front mean, of thousands I, I, of people. 
So, okay. So as, as a tennis player, I will tell you this, that the level that you need to be at mentally to be at that, that level. I mean, what do they expect? I mean, honestly, you know, it's kind of like, I can't, good honestly good for her for 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 acknowledging it yeah she had she had anxiety of well maybe i mean i don't know i mean i wasn't there i'm not her i'm not her i can't tell you but it's just when i I hear people say you know just toughen up or or something like that Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not as easy as that it's not now i mean again to be an elite athlete it begs the question of is that what gets you to be an elite athlete is that kind of, you know, toughen up thing. But, but, but there's a lot of mindfulness training that's done specifically with athletes and it's, it's, it's on this. And this is the reason why, because situation like that may not have escalated and peaks at that point. Yeah. No pun intended, but like wouldn't have escalated So that because there would have been strategies in place to be able to manage that instead of fighting it off, fighting it off, fighting it off. Yeah. You're less likely, you're way less likely to have taken acceptance mindfulness to base approach. Anyone That's the whole point of it. Anyone who's listening to this who is um is a reasonable crossfitter or an Olympic lifting athlete will know, mm-hmm. they will know that the minute you start walking towards a bar to do a, a clean and jerk or something and you and you say, oh, I might not get this, <laughs> you're not going to get this. Yes, you know? that's and, right. That's and, right. And I can, I can, I quite often get PBs when I don't realise how much weight is on the bar. I very rarely get a PB when I look at the bar and go, oh, that's heavy. Yes. And so there and is so, so much of, to this. So one of the strategies that I have people use when they have thoughts like that, so you walk up to the bar and say, this looks really heavy. Instead of trying to push that away, even just changing the dialogue, your your self-talk saying, I'm having the thought that the bar is heavy. Sounds very different inside than the bar is heavy, Mm. right? So it's this way to kind of decenter yourself from your thoughts Mm. to be able to look at your thought as just a thought because now it doesn't have the same impact. Until you you put your hands on the bar and take up the strain (laughs) and go, Jesus, that's heavy. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. But, exactly, but why, right, why right. wouldn't you why wouldn't you reframe that then to say, hey, imagine how this is going to feel when I throw this over my head? Yeah, and that is so. That is isn't right, that Trent. positive? That's so. That's positivity, right? Imagine how this motivating. is going to feel. Right. I think I think toxic positivity would be. Um, you you know, got something this. along the lines of like, put another hundred kilo yeah, on. Like, you got this. Yeah. Like, 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 <laughs> Oh, come on. Like, Oh, come on. You got, you got this. You got, you know, I, I think that's more, more of a toxic positivity angle rather than, you know, I'm having the thought that this is heavy. It's very different than this is heavy. Yeah. Now, again, in the, in the moments, whatever has worked best for you in the past is what you should use, obviously. Um, but again, even CrossFit athletes, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of, well, I'm not so sure about CrossFit athletes, but I would imagine that there is, but there's just so much mindfulness based performance training now. And it, again, it's for all of these reasons, because the more of an internal struggle you have, oh, cross, the less Jamie, your, CrossFit your is hundred percent a mental game. It's all mental. Yeah, it's all mental. Mm. Um, because there's a reason why on, on Sunday you can get a PR and then on Monday you can't even lift half of that, right? It's not like you all of a sudden lost strength in 24 hours. Yeah. 
Yeah, so as far as Emma um, Raducanu, I hope I'm saying her name. I'm, I have a terrible habit of pronouncing most words wrong. That is so true. <laughs> we, we get a lot of feedback. He's just horrible. No amount of positivity is going to get him to pronounce <laughs> difficult words wrong. There's so many There's so many battlefields in World War II Europe that, that have now had to change their names because of the way I pronounce them. Um, anyway, you know, I, I, I really we, – we, we will see her come back. She'll be a champion and she's so young to get to where she got to and she'll get some yes. great coaching and she's got the physical ability and, you know, has put in the hard work. Now there's just a, a, mm-hmm. a mental game that will be um, honed in for her, I hope. I, yes. I, I, read, I read yesterday uh, on LinkedIn, um, his name escapes me, but he was saying, you know, this statement around winners never quit. And then he went on to say, uh, he was a CEO, mm. and he went on to say that he has quit Countless times, like he can't remember how many times he's quit, yeah. and he's the C- yeah. CEO of a you know a multi multi million dollar turnover company that he's built from the you know. Well, uh, Trent, we we tell people to quit toxic leaders. Yeah, well, ab- absolutely. So so we we Don't try and change them quitting as well. You know, winners winners do quit. Winners quit often. Um, you know, we we quit on a daily basis when we go. You know what? I've had a guts full of writing this proposal, and you slam the laptop down right. and go. I'm I'm stepping away. That's due tonight, by the way, mate. It's due tonight that proposal. I'm just saying. If you could just hey, if you could just find it, some. Don't, hey, don't you have one as well? Yes. <laughs> Get around it. Mm. Yeah. So so um. So I think so. I, I think in this case, Emma's going to 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 build on this. This will go in the bank uh, for her, and I really I really hope that we. Wow! Look at you being positive about this. Yeah. Well, let's be let's be positive about this, right? You know, mm. when she's twenty five, twenty six, she's going to look back on this, and you know, people will still talk about this. And so, to Karen's make it ten years to, from now, right? To frame it so it's not um, a toxic version of that positivity, then is that. People need to sit down and talk to her now and say, "Hey, you know, this this happened. Let's let's talk about yes. why it happened, and then yes. and then say to her, okay, we'll get past this, but not until you've unpacked it, I guess." Correct. And so, toxic positivity would be, you know, all right, you know, let's go next. You know, it wouldn't ever be addressing. It'd be avoiding what is. Have it we, would be avoiding. Have we have we come full circle and said that? Toxic positivity is the manifestation of uh, a leader who is avoiding confrontation, emotional confrontation, personal confrontation, yes. team confrontation, and all yes. they all they want is butterflies, rainbows, and unicorns. Yes, nailed it. Yes, exactly. God damn, right. got it. Put that nailed in the show it. notes. <laughs> yeah, we've <laughs> what butterf- butterflies and unicorns. We we yes. do. Um, Jamie, we do tell people when they say to us, hey, I've got this leader, um, they're really hard to work with, they're horrible to be around, they won't listen to me at all. Um, when I hear things like that, people want these pearls of wisdom from our experience and they're quite shocked when they hear me say, if you're in the financial position to do it, leave. Mm-hmm. Or find a job then mm-hmm. leave. Yeah, because I, I just mm-hmm. I just don't want to see people waste their time and their energy on someone who doesn't understand that leadership is getting someone else to do what you want them to do because they want to do it through influence, purpose yes. and motivation. If a leader's not doing that, I, I put it to everyone listening, that's not a leader. It's something completely different. 
It's not a leader because leadership is only a positive thing. Leadership is growth. I mean, you want to, you know, and, and support and, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, when I think of a leader, I think of somebody that wants the best for their team, wants to have as much, you know, as much productivity and growth and value as possible. What you're describing, you know, that's kind of like a, like a, like a, uh, you know, there's a difference between that and leading by fear or yeah. leading by ignorance. And that goes in the opposite direction of growth. Yeah. Wow. What a great podcast, Trent. I'm wow, I've, this I've loved this cracking. conversation. Loved it. Um, oh, good. Sorry you, for the technical difficulties. That's okay. We're positive about that. Um, hey, <laughs> one, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, yeah, one, sure. one final question, I guess, from both of us. Um, I'm a massive fan of Dr. Rhonda Patrick's. Um, I'm not sure if you know who she is or not, but Mm-mm. she does a heap of work on diet and biohacking and uh, mitochondria and epigenetics and the cellular the cellular being of ourselves. And I'm I'm wondering if the treatment of you know cognitive behaviour sort of therapy, if if you hadn't thought of maybe collaborating with someone like um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick and 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 developing like a holistic approach to that where there's there's diet mm-hmm. taken into it and sleep and, and all that sort of good stuff. I mean, I don't practice without that. Wow. I, I, I don't, oh yeah, no, no. One of my biggest referring sources is to nutritionists, um, is to, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many referrals I get from gastro docs, from ENTs, from, you know, cardiologists, because if you, and I tell people this, I, I can only do 50%, you know, if you're not eating well and you're not sleeping well and you're not taking care of your physical self for, I mean, forget it. There's, self, there's self very mastery. little and research shows this. I mean, part of, well, I shouldn't say part, but a lot of the research that's out there shows that depression, anxiety, and all of these things are gut related. And so if you're not taking care of yourself physically, then you're kind of putting a bandaid on things. So right. yes, I am a firm believer in that. And I always take a very holistic approach because I think it's very naive not to, it's not like the brain is separate. I mean, we, there's neurotrans, I mean, neurotransmitters, there's, you know, all the chemical stuff going on. If you're, if your cortisol is high, you're going to get sicker. Your immune system's going to be compromised. So I, you know, yeah, you have to treat it like that. It would right. be very, you know, irresponsible. I think not to my, my personal opinion. Yeah. Trent, do you have another last question, mate? You've done so much in your life to help people, to help people overcome their challenges. What's your life purpose right now? Oh, boom. Wow. Wow. My life purpose from a, from a work, from a, like a career standpoint or just kind of generally speaking. What's your, what's your reason for being? Yeah. Just, Oh gosh. I, I think Oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for this. All right, hold on. Let me wow, my, Trent. my reason. Way to wreck being, a podcast, Trent Bernard. My, <laughs> my reason for being is I want to I know it sounds cliche, but like I really want to be able to help people just do better. Yeah. Not just feel better, but just live do do better, live better. Um, because there's like a I don't know, I want to push for more kind of like collective 
Mm. I don't know how to, ex- I don't know how to explain it, but I, I feel like if everybody just lives better and does better and stops focusing on feeling better all the time, I yeah. think it would just kind of have this domino effect. I've often said so that to you know, like Trent and I have had, we've talked over many a bowl of pasta and red wine about, about yeah. why, you know, who we are. And, and I often have said to Trent, you know, I believe that the secret to life is purely individual self-development and that's, agree with that. that's what that's what the secret to life is and i think that one thing i've noticed from this season on the podcast trent is that everyone we've had on has probably in their in their soul been seeking self-development personally and being able to provide other people with that self-development yep. um and you, you certainly strike me um dr zuckerman as someone who seeks your own self-development and then promotes people to be better than they were yesterday um, that's cl- so. that's cliche. That that bit. That is um, cliche. That is the but but it's but true. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah, you it know, is, it's it, true. I live by the saying, "Just be a good human." And yes. my, re- you know, what I'm here to do is help others be a good human. And everything yes. I, everything I do, needs to fit into that somehow. Mm. And so that's why I love this podcast. That's that's why mm. I don't ever want to let it go, mm. Bram. Don't ever want to let it go. Um, because because I think it helps. Like mm. I truly believe yeah. it helps, and and the yeah. work that we do helps people become better leaders, and so better yes. humans are therefore able to 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 lead better humans. Yeah. Um, yes. So and so I I can resonate with what you mm. what you've just said. That yeah. was fantastic. I mean, there's nothing better. I'm sure for you. Same for me. When I you know get a message from someone who follows me on Instagram and says you know. I don't, you know, I hope you know, you know, how much your posts have helped me through X, Y, and Z. And it's, you know, and you're like, wow, okay, like this is why I do what I do. Well, you know, it's, it's you're about to get me. a heap it's, of, it's, yeah. you're about to get a heap of messages from Australians, I think. So, <laughs> um, Dr. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, thank you very much for helping Trent and I understand more about Toxic positivity, something I didn't realize existed until until this year. And narcissism. Yeah. Yes. Narcissism. Oh, and toxic I could do a leaders. whole talk on narcissism. Well, we're gonna whole, we're gonna ask you doozy. back. We're gonna ask you back for season eight. Oh, I would um, love to. I would love to. Yeah, and I, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your um, holiday with your son to to have a chat thank to you. us today. And Trent, thank you, mate, as always, for jumping on. And I'm sorry about the technical difficulties, everyone. It was like, no, it was no, one third. On it was laptop. one third us, two thirds you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. This was great. I love what you guys do. So this was this thank was you. fun. Mate, amazing conversation. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for listening, gang. Our pre-recording producers are the amazing team at Talent and Truth. Special thanks to Sabine and Samantha. Caitlin Swallow is our post-production editor. Thanks to Jess Bunker for research. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. There's a weekly blog on the Warrior U website and a fortnightly newsletter that you can sign up to at hindsightleadership.com. That's all one word. Thank you for listening to the Warrior U podcast presented by Hindsight Leadership and Resilience.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.